0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Spangle here. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. If I sound different, it's because I'm playing with a new toy. Special thanks to Craig DaCosta. He sent, uh, what is this, a Zoom field recorder and lav mic. Um, Zoom is like the best radio, like if you're going to do podcasting, zoom recorders are the best thing you can possibly uh use and so i'm sitting in my easy chair normally you know the studio is like six feet away over at my coffee table and uh so studio is something i use loosely Uh, i have in my apartment i have like an 800 square foot apartment in indianapolis and i hi mittens uh my co-host mittens stopping by um and so in the dining area i have the podcast studio set up if you go back and watch on uh, the youtube channel some of the older videos then you can see what this what the room actually looks like but i uh, have made it look like it's an actual studio so i fool you on youtube at, when we post those clips and please uh i would love for you to go subscribe to our youtube channel Trying to get to a 1000 so we can start monetizing videos. And then uh, basically, like, I'm at $20 earned on AdSense. So basically, I'd like to earn $80 so I can get a $100 out of that thing at least. But uh, I don't expect that we'll ever make a lot of money on YouTube. But it'd be great if you went and subscribed. We're doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, like Fundamental Freedoms with Sarah Brady Wagner. Our third episode aired last night, every Sunday night at 8 p.m., We've got a new uh, YouTube series that's on YouTube, Vimeo, Twitch, uh, and Facebook. So you can check Libertarians.com for all those things. We post all of the network shows, including all of We Are Libertarians up there, full videos of We Are Libertarians, full audio of all the other shows like this. So if you're at work and you can't listen on your phone for whatever reason, you can listen on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, to all of our podcasts. What was I saying? Hmm, but yes, I ha- I have a studio over there, and that's normally where I sit, but I wanted to try this thing out because, uh, at the end of the month, I am going to Orlando for a work trip, and, uh, I don't want to pack a bunch of equipment, and this thing is like half the size of a cell phone and a lav mic, and so it'd be great if this sounds really good, and then I can just sit in the hotel room and record the Chris Spangle show, uh, or I may be off that week. I haven't decided yet. I may do the Chris Spangle Show and then have guest hosts for We're Libertarians. So, anyways, enough of me yakking. You're listening to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Uh And so, the main story that I've, I've been touched by is out of Syria. So, you may have heard that it's kind of quiet in Syria right now. There haven't been a lot of uh, devastating pictures out of Syria. It is... Let's see here. It's gone on since 2011, after the Arab Spring started. The Tunisian fruit vendor that lit himself on fire, essentially this fruit vendor was being hassled by the local police and constantly paying bribes, and the fruit vendor had just had enough. And very reminiscent of kind of the um, Eric Garner situation. where Eric Garner, I mean, if you watch that video of Eric Garner basically being suffocated by police officers in New York City, and it's just... You know, he he's talking about how just the boot of the boot of government is constantly on his neck. I mean, he doesn't put it in those framework, but that's that's sort of where that's a hallmark of gov of tyrannical governments everywhere. And I'm not saying that America is necessarily tyrannical yet, but uh, there are certainly hallmarks of tyrannical behavior in certain sectors of this country, and obviously around the world, especially in the Middle East. And bureaucrats constantly demanding bribes and using mob-like tactics when you don't pay is a hallmark of tyrannical government. And this Tunisian fruit vendor in 2011 was just constantly being picked on. He had a breakdown, lit himself on fire, and that's what started the Arab Spring across the entire uh, Middle East. Tunisia now is in very good shape. They're really kind of the only Arab democracy that's worked there are you know there's still sort of a propped up puppet government in egypt um obviously syria syria is the the greatest calamity you know it's gone on since 2011 and i've got the number from the new york times here but um let's see 350,000 people have been killed and 11 million have fled their homes And those 11 million have gone up into Germany, have gone into France, have gone into Greece, Turkey, America. I was talking to uh, someone who is a teacher here, right here in the school district that I live in. She was saying, yeah, we have a lot of Turkish students and Syrian students because they're fleeing the, uh, the governments there. Which is really disturbing to hear about Turkey because Turkey has long been... I mean, they were almost admitted to the EU. And it was an Arab up-and-coming democracy and erdogan has essentially turned it into a police state and turkey is very nervous about what's about to happen in syria and so when that happened syria lit on fire and and you had assad who was like raised in western european countries and his wife looks like an italian model uh, you know, he's always wearing the suit and tie. He wasn't like the Saddam Hussein-like looking dictator. He was always the guy. He's like an ophthalmologist. Uh, and so he always had this rap amongst, you know, uh, the Western world that he was the dictator that everybody could talk to. But then when he saw Mubarak and Egypt and others toppling all through the Middle East and Arab Spring, he just turned into an absolute monster and he started killing his own people, gassing his own people. Um, although I do think that some of the gassings that we have seen are false flags. Uh and I don't mean false flags on like the Sandy Hook. I think they're I think they're gas attacks perpetrated by one group on their own people to make it look like the other side, namely Assad, gassed their own people in an effort to bring in support. And so what will happen is these groups who are desperate for support from the West will carry out a gas attack, a sarin gas attack, film it, get these horrible pictures, send it to American TV stations in an effort to get the American public to push their legislators to send them aid. And they look at it saying, all right, well, we're going to lose 10 of our own people, but we're going to get millions of dollars, which will save in the grand scheme of things. And so sometimes when you hear about gas attacks in Syria, you have to be very careful about immediately blaming Assad because sometimes it's not Assad, because this is a tactic that has happened time and time again. Um, and it's pretty well known at this point that the 2013 gas attack that prompted the, the backlash against Obama over the red line, everybody, everybody gives Obama crap about this red line, but ultimately no one in the international community could verify that Assad actually carried out the attacks. And that's the same as what happened recently. I think, um, was it ElBaradei? Who was the, who was the, um, the weapons of mass destruction guy for the UN that was, like, the the main villain for conservatives during the Iraq war? I don't, it wasn't ElBaradei, but it, he, um... He basically said this last sarin gas attack was was sketchy at best. So, uh, but on to Syria. So what's happening there? You know, it's been fairly peaceful. People have seemed to calm down in Syria, but really it's just kind of the calm before the storm. Syria and Iran and uh, Assad are looking to go into this one final province called Idlib. And even the Chinese, which I'll get into in a later, are thinking about helping them in this attack. Uh, so let me read from the New York Times. In Idlib, the final offensive in Syrian war may cost, uh, come at a horrific cost. On land, Syria's government is mustering thousands of conscripts to bolster its depleted forces. At sea, a Russian naval flotilla is just offshore, ready to intervene with formidable firepower. In Idlib, Idlib province... Millions of civilians are dreading what comes next. The warring sides in Syria, long and merciless excuse me the warring sides in Syria's long and merciless civil war, are preparing for another brutal offensive, and this one may be the last. The looming assault on Idlib province is the one that government in Damascus hopes will deliver the final military blow against the rebel fighters and their civilian supporters who rose up more than seven years ago demanding regime change. While Syria and its Russian and Iranian allies see a chance to crush the remaining opposition, Western leaders warn of a humanitarian calamity in Idlib, where an estimated 3 million civilians live. That includes President Trump, who has tweeted about it. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has tweeted about it. Uh, Tens of thousands were bused to Idlib as part of a surrender deal with the government. So you have, and so they think there are 30,000 rebel fighters in this province. And this province was, when I looked it up on Google, it was like a few hundred thousand people. And now they have 3.5 million people in this province because this is the province that they shipped people to when, they, when the Assad government and the rebel forces would make deals in places like Aleppo, they'd ship refugees to this one province. So it's ballooned up to 3.5 million. And I don't think that's a coincidence that it's right on the Turkish border um so assad now controls the vast majority of syria with the exception of the kurds so the kurds occupy if you think of america uh they they occupy like the northeast and then this idlib province is idaho and washington and then turkey is canada and Assad has almost all of the land in Syria with the exception of a small sliver down in Alabama and and uh, Mississippi and then obviously this Idlib province up in Washington and Idaho and so the the thinking is that Assad the Russians and um, the uh, Iranians are going to push into this province to wipe out those 30,000 rebel forces But in the process, kill hundreds of thousands of remaining uh, refugees, they're going to flee over into the Turkish border, which is going to put greater pressure on Turkey, which in and of itself is on the verge of failure, because their currency has been greatly devalued. They're going through a monetary crisis at the moment. They have been greatly destabilized by the amount of Syrian people rushing into Turkey. Uh, And so... The Turks are in Russia and Iran begging them not to do this offensive because they know that this could be another Aleppo type scene. Uh, because if you look at, at Syria in the aftermath of these conflicts, these towns are completely demolished. So these towns are just gone. Like I encourage you to go look at uh, Elizabeth Young's reporting on Vice, where she goes to Syria and walks through some of these neighborhoods. It's incredible. Uh, the destruction. It looks like it looks like Berlin 1942. It looks like Britain 1942. I mean, it's really horrible, and and people are living in the middle of this now. You know, conflicts that may have happened two years ago in Syria, people are still living in these rubbles. There's still dead bodies everywhere because when it, when the bombing happens and everything collapses and the entire infrastructure city, provincial governments all collapse in Syria, there's nobody to come in and take these bodies out Uh, and so you're talking about a very populous density, there's a lot of density in this province so to continue on with the times the impending government offensive against what are believed to be about 30,000 rebel fighters is a perfect storm, says the UN Um, Turkey too is expressing grave concern about an attack worried it will bear the brunt of the humanitarian security fallout Attacking the hole at Idlib to eliminate some radical groups would mean causing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and making 3.5 million people leave their homes one more time. Turkish Foreign Minister, uh, I'm not even going to try, added, uh, Mevulet Kavsug, I will never be a network broadcaster for this reason alone. Um, So more than 350,000 people have been killed and more than 11 million have fled their home. State Department, and this is for where it's relevant to you if if a humanitarian crisis with hundreds of thousands of women, children, and men dying, the elderly dying, uh, doesn't tug at your heartstrings, here's where it relates to you, dear listener. The State Department all in, on Friday also warned the, in a statement that the United States will respond to any chemical weapons attack perpetrated by the Syrian regime, so in hearing that. The Syrian forces, the Syrian Free Army, says, okay, gas 200 of our people, and Donald Trump is going to do what he did last time, which was go in, kill 150 Russians, clear out an air force base for Iran, and significantly weaken the Assad power grid. So, you know, that's, that's why it's dangerous to make these declarations, because... It's why it's dangerous for us to be involved in any way, shape or form, because the second you set the precedent that you're going to return fire for a a gas attack, then the Syrian rebel army can then gas their own people and you attack their. And so it's a way of drawing in America without directly drawing us in. Other Syrian-born fighters, including many who retreated to relative safely, uh, in, safety in Idlib with their families after years of fighting, now feel cornered and fearful with few options left. So these guys who are fighting in the Syrian Free Army left the army and retired to Idlib as veterans, and now they're worried. Some of the fighters, like Mohammed Darwish, say they are deliberating a withdrawal to Turkish-controlled zones of Syria around towns of Afrin uh, and... Jarablus to keep their families safe from the atrocities they have witnessed committed by government forces Idlib is very densely populated. One barrel bomb can kill dozens, Mr. Darwash said, referring to the indiscriminate aerial weapons used by pro-government air forces on civilian neighborhoods because the Russians and Iranians just go in and carpet bomb cities and so these barrel bombs can kill dozens of people because it's so packed in there the U.N. officials say fighting could displace upward of 800,000 civilians from Idlib, yet there is no arrangement to allow safe passage to those who want to escape the fighting. So, huge problem. And from a libertarian standpoint, freedom of movement is a fundamental principle to human freedom. So, it is. if you believe in free markets, then you have to believe in free movement of people. Okay, which is why so many libertarians are, in my opinion, correctly open borders, because if you are it's like when you saw the closing of the Texas border, you saw the the detentions down at the Texas border. You saw people sleeping and starving on bridges outside of the border in America. You saw conflict between American border guards and uh, people trying to come here for asylum. Those are the scenes of closed border. And so to have a closed border, you rapidly grow the size of the state because you've got to find the people to go out and man the border. You've got to find the weapons that you're going to use to fight people from coming into the border. Uh, And so the uh, we're not going to have time today, but I'm going to talk tomorrow about. Legal immigration, which is really what the child separations were about, these were legal immigrants who were being separated it wasn 't illegal immigrants although you wouldn't you wouldn 't understand that or know that if you watched the mainstream media or anybody in the conservative press so the uh, the problem with closed borders is you have to rapidly massively grow the size of the state to protect those borders, so when you have Freedom of movement, people leave the war zones of Syria to go to a place of s- safety. They leave El Salvador because of their safety and they go to a place where economic prosperity reigns. And so we'll talk about immigration tomorrow on the Chris Spangle Show, but today we're talking about these immigrants. Where do they go? Europe is not going to accept anymore, America is not going to accept anymore. Uh, the, the i haven 't heard really anything about the immigration of South americans although they're they 're closing their borders to Venezuelans, so they 're probably not accepting any of these people. The Turks are adamant that they 're not going to accept any uh, Asian countries are usually fairly close societies uh the The stands are not necessarily good economic opportunities, so you know the situation. In, in these refugee camps, when you start bringing more people into refugee camps, the situation just becomes more and more hopeless. I mean, there's people who have been in refugee camps from from uh, this situation for almost a decade now. I mean, we're talking about a decade of people living in tents in the desert, and no government on Earth wants to deal with them because we have this notion that these women and children and old people, because the men died and died in fighting... Uh, are all terrorists. Like, it's. I think it's foolish to think that there are no ISIS terrorists amongst these refugee camps. They escaped from ISIS and went into refugee camps to escape any punishment. Of course, that happened. Okay, but does that mean that all Syrian refugees, all 800,000 people who are going to flee this situation, are terrorists? Absolutely not. Uh, and the the argument i 'm sorry of one bad skittle ruins the bunch doesn't doesn 't hold water with me, so I think we um we are not treating our fellow humans very very nicely. We are propagandizing them and using them as tools and these people are are suffering gl- greatly when America could open could screen these people and allow them to move into America and live very productive lives uh you know, Mike Pence tried to keep all Syrian refugees out of, of Indiana. Fortunately, I think that was overturned after he left, um, hence the Syrians that are now moving into my area. And I'm totally fine with it. Like, I am surrounded by the world's second largest population of the Chin out of Burma because they're fleeing religious persecution. Christians who are fleeing to America because they're being persecuted by Buddhists a beat for irony there. And uh they're great neighbors. They're they're uh they're like the sweetest people that you could possibly run into when I see them at the gym or at the grocery store. So uh so another really interesting aspect um this comes from Stratfor, which will make some of the heads explode uh amongst libertarians, but I try to read everything. I try to look for information from antiwar.com all the way to Stratfor and the Council on Foreign Relations. So it's, it's, um, uh, y- you, you can get facts. It's usually the conclusions from their facts that are wrong. Excuse <sighs> me, I'm putting myself to sleep. So both China's, uh, so this is, uh, from Stratfor China, Syria. Officials say the Chinese military is willing to help the Syrian army retake Idlib. Uh, they write, both China's ambassador to Syria, as well as its military attache in the country, have raised the possibility of Chinese military operations in Syria alongside the Syrian government. Chinese Ab- ambassador, Kui Qu- Quinjin reportedly stated that the Chinese military is, quote, willing to participate in some way alongside the Syrian army that is fighting the terrorists in Idlib and any other part of Syria. While military attache Roy Wang Roy Chang reportedly said the Chinese military could participate in an operation to retake rebel-held Idlib if Beijing made the political decision for it to do so. Active Chinese military involvement in Syria would mark a substantial step forward in overall Chinese involvement in the Middle East and in a global sense as well. Except for operations under the UN Peacekeeper Mandate, China has largely avoided military operations beyond its borders or its immediate region. A military operation in Syria could open the door for further such Chinese involvement around the globe. China has also long been concerned about, and this is really why they're doing it, uh, the Uyghur militants in the Turkestan Islamic Party operating in Idlib. Given the extended combat experience of TIP's Syrian branch and its significant capabilities, Beijing has an interest in seeing the Uyghur militants uh, destroyed before some of them return to Central Asia or even China. Primarily for that reason, it makes sense for China to consider a more active involvement in a battle to retake Idlib. So, uh, they are the Chinese don't do intervention in the way that the Americans do intervention. We put boots on the ground and get ourselves mired in these quagmires like Vietnam and Iraq. What the Chinese are doing is they're going to places like... They they must have read Thomas Sowell. <laughs> uh, or or uh, Alexander Hamilton, I guess, may be the better way to put it. So, you know, Hamiltonian... Part of the the Hamiltonian philosophy of economic growth is take a central state and plow roads and railroads and create transportation. So you're now going from cut off areas of a country to central shipping lanes. And so what China is doing is it's going to Central and South America and Africa and other parts of Asia and even the Balkans and investing in infrastructure for these countries. Investing in energy, energy grids, water, waterways, clean water facilities, sewage facilities, um, even stadiums and roads, and all these other infrastructure projects for these con- countries. And so that way, the Chinese are going to be able to, and they buy the rights for all of the the. the I mean, they're basically doing what the neocolonialists did over the last century in the West. They're going into Nigeria, buying up oil rights, and building a road in, in exchange. Uh, and so China is using economic power to spread its influence aclo- across the globe, as opposed to its military might, which it certainly could. I mean, I'm, if China wanted to spin up its army within a decade, they could be a bigger military than the United States, which is currently the biggest military in the world, uh, I think if you take the United States military and then add up all the other militaries in the world, it's the same size. Uh, so, so China is a formidable foe. You know? And we don't want... We just This is a big reason we don't want to be involved in these entangling alliances. Because we don't want to be fighting Russia, China, Iran in places like Syria and kill 150 Russians... And then have Russia start killing our troops, and then it turns into a hot war. Uh, that is, that is the, the seeds of World War One were formed out of the Italian War uh, in nineteen oh nineteen oh nine, I believe, nineteen eleven. So, if if you go look at the the war that was formed there around Italy, like that was the that was the beginning of it, and so. You know, which led to more alliances, which led ultimately to World War One. So China getting involved in military operations, not a great thing for the world. Because they're, we just don't want the Chinese military, like, they're so big and, like, we just don't want to fight the Chinese too. Um, So, But it sounds like they're getting involved specifically to go in, commit some atrocities towards this group, so that way these people who will return back to their homes in Asia and China will not have the military experience to take them out, which is how communism basically prospered. I mean, you you had these people in exile learning how to be military commanders. They go back to their dictatorial homelands, foment a revolution and overthrow the government so now the chinese are trying to fend off these uh f- islamo-fascist groups um which is an interesting turn in history so uh, so this is also i thought w- was a nice summation so i'll end with this uh, also from Stratfor, in and an article titled russia considers its next move in syria The Syrian civil war has entered a new phase since the government takeover of Dara and Quintiara in the country's southwest. Now for the first time in the conflict's seven-year history, all meaningful territory in Syria is either under direct control of loyalist forces or subject to significant foreign presence. The Syrian democratic forces and allied U.S. troops control the northeastern portion of the country, while Turkish troops are embedded in northern Aleppo province and the Idlib province where the latest rebel forces are holding out, where the last of the rebel forces are holding out. Estimates put the cost of reconstruction at about $400 billion because Russia can't possibly... Now, here's where it gets uh, expensive for you. So the Russians and the Iranians and the Syrians have blown up an entire country, and we have contributed that by uh, sending our own bombs to help fight the Russians, Syrians, and Iranians in Syria. And now we're all going to pay for it. Estimates put the cost of reconstruction at about $400 billion in Syria. Because Russia can't possibly afford to foot the bill on its own, it is turning to other countries, namely the U.S., China, and EU member states for help. So uh, even win or lose, although there's no winners in Syria, you will still be paying. So isn't that lovely? All right, so that is the Chris Spangle Show for today, for September 4th. I want to thank Craig DaCosta for this neat neat little device, the Zoom F1 Field Recorder. Uh, It's always uh, a a delight to come home and to see an Amazon package and not know what's in it, and to open it up and have a beautiful wrapping from, uh, from Amazon and Craig as a birthday present to dear leader. I greatly appreciate it. My birthday is September 9th. Uh, so he went to our Amazon wish list and purchased this, and I thank him, uh, and hopefully it sounds good. I don't have headphones in, so I have no idea how it sounds, but we'll, we'll take a listen, and uh, hopefully you are pleased, I am pleased, we're all pleased, uh, because as you know, as dear leader, I want, I want you to be pleased with our product, because you are the listener, or I am the listener, and you are dear leader, so, alright, uh, if you don't listen to We Are Libertarians and you don't get that, then you should, so... All right. Thank you for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.